Hello and welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Ramal Tani, the Education Director at the Federation, and co-hosting with me is our Legislative Director, Maria Gallagher. Hello, Maria. Hello, Remel. It's so good to be with you today. I'm so glad you're here too. <laughs> this is, it's, been, it's such a beautiful day out and uh, I'm just excited for this conversation. Yes, me too. So, you know, Maria, spending time with children is always fun, especially for me. And I'm sure many of us who have spent time with them have been left dumbstruck at times by their candor and their capacity for truth. They are little people who see things as it is and often leave us amazed with their big questions and thoughts. And a lot of times they have questions about babies in the womb. So our guest today is someone who is keen on bringing the pro-life message to young ones, just developing their visual and language skills. Later in the show, we will hear from Brendan Leons, sorry, I mispronounced that, Brendan Lyons, the author of a pro-life children's book called I Can Hear Music. This book with its beautiful illustrations and facts delivered through verse is sure to help your child see the humanity of the unborn. So stay tuned to hear more about it as we discuss it with the author, Brandon Lyons. This week, Maria has a legislative update on protecting teenage girls from the abortion industry. We'll hear from her soon, but first we will have our inspiration for the week. Now, today I was putting aside life-sized fetal models for a pro-life packet um, to send to one of our chapters. And I was reminded of something I'd witnessed a few months ago at the March for Life. Now it happened, uh, I happened to attend the March for Life with a couple of my friends who had four kids uh, from ages nine all the way to a baby less than a year old. And as we were standing there during, during the rally, there was a couple that was weaving through the crowds and handing out these fetal models to people. Um, so for people who are not familiar with it, it fetal models are usually those, these life-sized rubber or plastic models of a, of a 10 to 12 week old baby. Um, of a baby that's developing. And so they're about three inches long. They definitely catch your attention and they're soft and squishy and really nice to hold. Um, and this man comes over to where we are and he hands out one of these to my friend. Now her four-year-old girl uh, in a sweet childlike curiosity just reached out to grab it from her hands and she was like, show me, I wanna see it. I think we lost the audio for a minute on Remmel. And so um, we're anxious to hear the rest of her story. I know that it's fascinating to uh, see those fetal models. We'll see if we can get her back on again. What about now? Can you hear me? All right, I'm back on. Yes, so so when, her, when this little girl reached out, um, she wanted to grab, she was just, you know, being a child and, and, and she tried to grab, one, grab it out of her mom's hand. And my friend did this really wonderful thing. She, she stopped her child very gently and explained to her what this is. Uh, she said, this is, the, this is the model of, of a baby in the womb. 
and you can hold them, but you have to put out your hand and receive it like you would a baby. And this little girl, it just was so precious to watch. She she did just that. She reached out her hand and she received it um, with such reverence and care. And she kept holding and almost contemplating this little, this little life-sized model of a baby. And uh, and then her sister, who's six years old, so two years older than her, uh, came up and she said, I want to hold the baby. And I watched as this little girl just as gently placed this model in her, in her older sister's open palm. And these two girls somehow, I think they just knew that they were holding something precious, that this was not something that is just with, with their mother's guidance. They knew that this was not just a toy. This was not something that uh, we can just play with. Of course, you can do that. But at the same time, you know, that this represents something more precious. And what their mother did, I know that it made an impression on them. And they talked about it for a few weeks after that. The next time I met them, they're like, oh, those baby models. So, so you know, that, that incident is something that I think about very often. And especially today, uh, as I was holding some of those fetal models myself. So it makes me wonder, you know, if we all, could just look at an unborn baby with that same reverence and that same wonder that I saw in those two little girls that day, like how different the world would really be. Um, and that's kind of the power of children, right? They, you teach a child something beautiful and they will in turn teach you how to practice it or they will show you how to practice it. So that's my story for you today. And I hope it inspired you too. Now we will hear from Maria. Maria, what do you have for us? Thank you so much, Ramel. The following is from a National Right to Life news release. The Idaho State Senate passed House Bill 242 in a vote of 27 to 7. House Bill 242 would make it a crime for an adult to transport a pregnant minor within the state of Idaho for the purpose of obtaining an abortion with the intent to conceal the abortion from the parents or guardian of the minor. The bill passed the Idaho House previously and will now head to the governor's desk. This law is modeled on a portion of National Right to Life's post-Dobbs model law to protect unborn children. If signed by the governor, this would be the second law of its kind, Missouri being the first, a law that protects minors and parental rights from the trafficking of a pregnant minor within the state of Idaho for the purpose of obtaining an abortion without the parent's knowledge. House Bill 242 protects parents' rights to be involved in their minor daughter's decision, said Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life. No minor daughter should be without her parents' guidance, and House Bill 242 would protect the right of parents. Idaho's House Bill 242 would seek to prevent an abortion, whether surgical or procured using abortion drugs, from being performed on a minor without the knowledge of her parents or guardians. Tobias continued, parents have the right to love their daughter and be there for her in her time of need. No one should take that away. Remmel. 
Thank you, Maria. That was very, very informative. And, and that, that is so true. We parents do have a say in the lives of the children, especially with such big decisions that could change a woman's life. And thank you for that. Um, keeping in line with the theme of children, we have with us Brendan Lyons, the author of I Can Hear Music, a children's book with a strong pro-life message. Brendan is a native of southeastern Pennsylvania and now lives in Hadbro with his wife and daughter. He also works as an associate editor for the National Catholic Bioethics Center, which provides education, guidance, and resources to the church and society to uphold the dignity of the human person in healthcare and biomedical research. And through his book, he hopes to share the humanity of babies in the womb with children in a way that is both relatable and catchy. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Hi, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're we are quite excited to get this conversation started. Uh, so we thought we could start with something a little personal. Could you tell us why are you pro-life, Brandon? Well, <clears throat> that's uh, it's one of those things that's kind of simple and hard to answer, but the simple answer is I kind of always learned that the people that uh, are most uh, most vulnerable are the people that we need to protect. Um, my mother was um, an advocate for people with disabilities. And her, so her whole life was really helping people who society kind of pushes to the side to live the lives that they deserve to live. And seeing that uh, abortion directly kind of assaults those people and many others really kind of well it, it may be pro-life it may be passionately so and it's it's interesting it's actually um a practicing catholic and there was a time when my faith was less important to me but the mm -hmm. the the importance of like the pro-life mission and how much uh, my church was involved actually helped me pull back into the faith aspect of my life so very important to me how did you come to work at the NCBC? So um, in August of 2020, a um, pandemic year, uh, I, I lost my job. Um, at the time I had a, we had just bought a house in March and my my daughter was born in April. So it was kind of a crazy, crazy time to, to lose your job. Um, I know a lot of people though went through that, but um, kind of a, I wouldn't necessarily say desperate, but uh, I just kind of asked, anyone I, I knew they could help me, which I would I would highly uh, suggest anybody looking for something, don't be afraid to ask, you know. So um, this one uh, uh, contact I had is uh, Anne DeSantis. I don't know, she's kind of ca uh, active and Catholic in there. Yeah, some of you know her. Um, she reached out to some people for me and, um, you know, got me in touch with the NCBC and they were looking to hire a, a new editor. And uh, so I interviewed and, and got the job, and it's been it's been really amazing. I, I do love working here. Um, it's just it, it's it's really helped my understanding of both life issues and my faith, and both the intellectual and scientific depth of uh, you know of, of both. So, it's, mm -hmm. well, I'm sure you've come across a lot of arguments for the for life as well as arguments against life. So. What is the most compelling argument for life that you have, that you know of, or that that you think is very very compelling? Well, 
at this point in my life, it's 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 a simple fact that God gave us all life. That's 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 where I where I am now. But so I mentioned earlier that being pro life kind of pulled me back into my my faith, and it, it really was that argument that uh, people, no matter like no matter what disability they might have, whether they they might be poor or all the struggles they have, when they're alive, we don't treat them like they shouldn't be. Well, we shouldn't treat them like that. We know we shouldn't treat people that way. And yet we were looking at people in the womb like they might not have a good life. So let's not them, let them have life at all. It just didn't, it's not, it's not congruent. The kind of success stories we see, even like Hollywood movies, people overcoming things. And then in regular society, we also say, oh yeah, but let's not give people a chance to overcome things. That doesn't make sense to me. So I think that's a strong argument for why abortion just, it doesn't make sense. We need to give people a chance to overcome their challenges. Can you tell us about your book, I Can Hear Music? Sure, yeah. It's, it is it is a pro-life book. I've, I've heard some people um, less positively so call it, you know, anti-choice book. And I, I, I don't, I don't hate, well, I usually would say anti-abortion. I don't hate the tag, but the, the book itself was actually originally a kind of a, a biology book for, for young children. And mm-hmm. because I really wanted to tell the truth about, you know, how, how this works in the womb. Um, my, my, my daughter is uh, about to turn three and um, we're expecting uh, another child in July. And my daughter at three is actually kind of the perfect age for this because we've been talking to her about like, oh, well, you know, at this point, you know, it's 24 weeks, the baby can hear you. Pretty soon the baby will be able to make out, you know, your words. And when the baby's born, that baby's going to recognize your voice. And that's really, you know, that's why I started wanting to to write the book in the first place was because I was, um, I was a musician, my, my wife's a musician, and I was also getting into more, you know, this, this kind of pro-life and biology understanding. And I was really excited to learn exactly how early my, uh, my first daughter would, would, uh, would learn, you know, my voice. Um, actually, the most exciting thing about it was, um, about 24 weeks when the child can start to hear a, like a low male voice outside was also uh, Christmas Eve. And growing up, my father would always read us the night before Christmas on Christmas Eve, obviously. So I was, uh, I can't even tell you how excited I was to read, <laughs> read this to my, you know, to my child in utero and know that you know, she didn't know what the words meant, but know that she could actually hear this and this tradition was continuing. But and so I wanted other, I wanted kids to understand that about their, their siblings, that they could be connecting, and that child would recognize you, you know, when they when they're born. So bonding start can start at 24 weeks of gestation, you know, between siblings, which I think is just amazing. Yeah, that's that's uh, so relevant because we see so many videos and uh, people put videos of newborn babies who instantly calm down when they hear the mother's voice. You know, and we think, I mean, there, when, when people argue that a baby who is not born is not fully human, it's like they have had all of these experiences while in the womb. And it's pretty obvious when they come out, the way they respond to, to the parents, the way they respond to the mother's voice uh, in the crowd, you know, the, even, the, even though they hear the doctors and nurses, like nothing suits them, like the mother's voice so uh, or the father's. So, 
So I think that's very, that's pretty incredible that you have a book that shows the humanity of the child along with uh, its abilities, specifically in terms of what, it, what a baby can hear and, and what a baby can, uh, can remember, maybe not to the extent, but there is a certain sense, they're, they're already experiencing the outside world in a certain sense. So yeah, my, um, um, I just want to add on that my my daughter, um, since my wife is a cantor, and so the uh, during during mass she would sing the, uh, the the sanctus, the holy holy holy. My daughter would kick, and so after my daughter was born, we always had to watch. You know, it was pandemic, so we were watching mass on television, usually asleep, usually not paying attention. You know, she's an infant, but like three weeks in a row, when the sanctus started playing, my daughter goes alert. And starts looking at the television to see what's going on. So she knew. I mean, she didn't know what it was, but she recognized the tune. It's amazing. Oh, uh, you know, once would be anecdotal, but she did it pretty much every time for several weeks. And it's just oh, exciting wow. to think about that. Wow, <laughs> she's probably going to be a singer, right? Taking oh, I, yeah, there. she is already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Brandon, could you? Um, there are many pro-abortionists that argue that unborn babies are not fully human because they don't have experiences, memories, things like that. So what do you have to say about that? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, the simple fact that they, they do have experiences. Um, I think that because we don't identify with those experiences all that well, you know, we don't remember things the way a baby remembers things quite the same way. Um, you know, mm -hmm. baby's not going to sing back the song to you because they can't communicate. But uh, people kind of disassociate with with the unborn, with the uh, with the uh, older children. But there's really not a huge difference. And I think it's I mean it's a failure of both biology and philosophy because I mean, you have this idea. Um, I think one of the things um, uh, our current president said that he agreed with uh, Thomas Aquinas that babies aren't human until a little bit later. Now, Thomas Aquinas also thought that when you mix two, the two fluids together and they coalesce, and then after a couple months after intercourse, the baby becomes a person. That's, we know that's not how it works anymore. <laughs> so that's, uh, we know that, that at conception, you have this new person. So mm -hmm. rather than having a material coalesce into a person, we can actually witness that, okay, once we have two materials, they hit each other, boom, new person there's no you know everything else is an accidental change a growth a development up until the point of death which is the next time you actually change from one substance to another one thing to another so there's really only two places that happens at conception and death so where else can somebody become a person uh, so it doesn't really make sense philosophically and scientifically it doesn't work out either so that's what i have to say to that theory. <laughs> Brendan, can you tell us what has been the response to the book? I I think um, a lot of people who I've talked to about it, they love reading it to their kids and they love reading it to their unborn kid. It's, it's one of those things that's kind of nice to have something that uh, <clears throat> that you, you have all the way from in the womb up to, you know, you have a, a you know, it's probably three, four, five age range for the kids, but the people can listen to it anyway, because it's kind of kind of lyrical. It's not too music or anything, but it rhymes, it's in meter. And so it's that sort of thing that kids really identify with. I know my daughter 
loves pretty much anything in, in the kind of lyrical rhyming and meter. And so having the ability to read it to your child in the womb, and then you have another child coming and read it together to the child in the womb. And I, I think that's, that's something people have I, identified with and connected to, I, I think. And I, I love that. That's That was the point in the first place. So, Have you always been a writer? Have you always done writing and then you were suddenly inspired to write for your child or for children or how did this come about yeah i i mean i've been i've been trying since uh, second grade to write stories i used to <laughs> little crown stories um not quite as well constructed in those days but um you know it's it's uh being into music and being into you know storytelling it all kind of coalesces into various different kinds of storytelling and um i realized a lot of what i was doing was kind of outside it's kind of like and nothing wrong with fiction and fantasy stuff because i like writing that but it wasn't really necessarily aligned directly with my faith so i just thought yeah i'll, I'll give something a little bit more scientific a little more straightforward uh a uh, chance and um i think it turned out pretty well so Yes, I've always been a writer, continue to continue, you know, plan to continue being a writer and hoping to do some more stuff like this as well. Where can we purchase the book? So uh, the book is, uh, you can find it online, um, Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes and Noble. There's also a couple of Christian bookshops across the United States that have it. Um, and it's available if you, you know if you have a bookstore and you want to carry it, um, you can find it uh, through, I think, Spring um the through lightning source but um so you can find it there and uh yeah so it's it's uh just look me up it should be a thing most associated with me <laughs> so do you have any other writing projects that you're working on yeah um i have well this one thing it's a kind of sort of prayer journal sort of called spirit of prayer and it's really i like to write my own prayers uh, my wife got me a little, little notebook for our anniversary one year and in it, I kind of scribbled down my prayers. So I thought it'd be nice to see if I could help people get, help guide other people through that. Um, the St. Monica one is very popular for people who have um, relatives that have left the church. Uh, you write that down. Uh, and then in July, I have a book that's not entirely different, actually. It's a history book about a, a fellow from Westchester, Pennsylvania, who joined the Union Army and ended up being the uh, youngest soldier to die in the Civil War. His name was Charlie King. Um, so I wrote his story and that's uh, that's coming out in July. So, yeah. We've got about five minutes left and I'm wondering about um, oh, what you've heard of, about people's reactions to the development of the child in the womb. I know we've been talking about the fact that a lot of people don't realize that the heart can start beating at 24 days after conception, that brain waves are detected. 43 days after conception, that at six weeks, uh, a baby in the mother's womb resembles a miniature doll. And I'm wondering if you find people are surprised about the development of the preborn child. I think so, yeah. I, I mean, I was surprised and I was already into, deep into you know, pro-life movement, but I was surprised to learn how much um, they could hear. I think a lot of it comes from misinformation um that 
uh, you know, the heartbeat. You see people now talking about like, oh, that's not a heartbeat. That's an electrical single signal being like, coming through a speaker. And it's like, well, okay, but so is the heart monitor at the hospital for an adult. You know, you're not listening to rock and roll. You're listening to an electric signal coming out of your speaker. Like that's, it's detecting the heartbeat. So yeah, okay, the, the, the heart might not be making that exact sound, but that's what the heart is detecting. So, you know, people don't quite, the people who kind of are pro-abortion don't seem to understand that or don't don't want to, I, I'm not sure. But it's the same kind of like, and as far as development in general, it's almost like a, just what's the word, a Descartes, the Cartesian thing, or like, well, the baby can't think yet. So it's, it's not, you know, I think therefore I am. But that baby's not thinking right, except the baby has brain waves really early, but it's not thinking the way we want it to. So... You know, it's 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 a like I kind of alluded to earlier. It's both a biological and a philosophical failing that we look at this obviously developing child, this well, this child who is continuing to develop, and say, well, that's that child not developed enough yet. Just... Yes, I really love how you keep bringing up this point. Baby is not in a state that we want it to be. We want right. him or her to be. Like, I, I think a lot of times the, the arguments for abortion uh, is that, that they're not, <laughs> they're not yet where we want them to be. So they're not babies. And, and I, I think you, you bring that point up very wonderfully. And I was wondering, uh, because you work in the media as well as the associate editor for the NCBC, could you share with us uh, some of the ways media has um has served the pro-life cause and some of the ways that it has done damage in the minds of people? Well, I, I think that um, the plethora of media out there definitely gives us the opportunity to see different sides, but then also pick the side and decide, you know, <laughs> this person has the facts I like. It's actually not unlike, you know, this, this child isn't the state that I want the child to be. We, we wanna be able to choose the truth um, and have it work for us. Now, the positive in that is, you know, we're not just getting fed what one group of people is telling us to think, but the opposite of the problem there is, you know, we don't like one truth. We decide we want to study another truth. And that's, you know, we grab onto that and that's what reality is for us. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword, um, the variety of media that we have out there, but I don't know what the solution is to that issue, but I, I hope that it's uh, people continuing to seek, um, you know, authentic truth rather than just the truth they're handed. Thank you so much. Brendan Thank Lyons, you. author of I Can Hear Music, a children's book with a strong pro-life message. Brendan is also associate editor for the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Thank you for being with us today, Brendan. Thank you for having me. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State, with more than 40 local county-based chapters. We shine a spotlight on the most vulnerable individuals from the very dawn of life to the twilight of life. Thank you for joining us today. Your work inspires us. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life. <laughs>